The following is a message of First Baptist Richardson. For more information, please visit fbcr.org. Wow, this is church, isn't it? Isn't this church? Everyone together, worshipping Jesus, old and young together. Singing songs of faith and truth and life and hope. This is church coming together, worshipping, fellowshipping, talking, sharing Jesus, catching up. This is church and I am so pleased with all my heart to be with you. And, and it breaks my heart that we go on Wednesday. We're doing VBS until Wednesday and then we fly out. So just hope we make all those connections. I wonder if you'd turn with me in your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 15. We're going to start where we finished last week. You remember the story, you know it so well, the story of the prodigal son. And if our... If our story finished at verse 24, it would make a lot of sense. The son comes home. He has his prepared confession. You remember we said it was, uh, it may have been even, you know, scraped out in the pig filth in his arm. And, and, And he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. He says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And we remember that the father stops him. He won't let him say it. And then he gets the robe and the shoes and the ring. And they kill the fatted calf. And the father declares a celebration. Because my son who was dead is now alive again. It's an incredible story. It it matches the others. We we knew, we looked at this. Let's have a look at verses one and three first as we come. Now the tax collectors, no one likes them. The sinners, we we noticed these were the people who didn't follow all the rules. They, They weren't real concerned to look like religious folks. The tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near him. There was something about Jesus that was so attractive. He could gather a crowd. And the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious professionals, the ones who looked the part, sounded the part, they grumbled. Maybe they're thinking, why don't they come to our services? Why do they come to Jesus and not our synagogue? We want them to come to our synagogue. But they're going to this man, Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, This man receives. His arms are open. He receives sinners and eats with them. Contaminates himself with them. And so he told them, Three parables. This parable, the first one is, we know that, the shepherd and the lost sheep. And and the shepherd goes looking. That the lost sheep has wandered off. Who's the lost sheep? The sinners and the tax collectors. 
Who, who are the ones that he leaves the 99? They're the religious folks. And he goes over the fields, over the dells, through the thickets, through the briar patch. And he rescues. And, and you remember what happens. He brings home the sheep. I see it on his shoulders. Uh, if, if any of you remember Keith Green, he had a, an album cover with him, big old beard, carrying the sheep on his shoulders. And that's how the good shepherd comes and he's rejoicing. And he says, and this is, we haven't got it on the screen, but if you've got a Bible open in front of you, you'll see it. Verse six, he says, rejoice with me. Rejoice with me. Because I found the sheep that was lost. That's Jesus' heart. This joyful, exciting. I found that which is lost. If you've ever lost anything and you find it, you're pleased. If you lost your keys on the way to church, if you couldn't remember where they were and you found them, yeah. And our husbands or our wives are just rolling their eyes out loud, aren't they? You lose your keys, you lose your purse a hundred times a day. So there's rejoicing. Then Jesus tells them, this is a very Hebrewic way of speaking, very Aramaic way of speaking, just building upon building upon building. And he says, there's a, a, a widow and she loses her coin and she searches, turns the house upside down till she finds it, the single-minded pursuit. And Jesus says God is like that good shepherd who comes to seek and save the lost. He says God is like that, that little lady who's lost her coin and single-minded focus goes looking for it. I mean, God really, he gave everything for you. What has God ever held back from you? He gave his own son. He gave his own son. That you, the guilty one, may go free. And say, God loves you so much, he held nothing back in his pursuit of you. The hound of heaven ran you down. That's exactly what Jesus is saying with this little lady who searches single-minded, sweeping the dirt. Look, verse 9. Look what it says. If you've got a Bible there, uh, it says this. And when she had found it, she called together her friends and neighbours saying, exactly the same phrase from verse 6. Rejoice with me, for I am have found the coin that I had lost. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees who are grumbling. And he is saying, rejoice with me. Can you hear him? Why aren't you rejoicing? Why are you grumbling? So he tells another story. This is now the third in a row, the lost son. 
And the Father represents God. One of your great preachers uh, of the previous generation, Haddon Robinson, said this. With him, talking about God, talking about the Father in this story, with him the calf is always the fatted calf, the robe is always the best robe, the joy is unspeakable, the peace passes understanding, there is no grudging in God's goodness. You need to hear that today. There is no grudging in God's goodness. He does not measure his goodness by drops. How about that? He does not measure his goodness by drops. My cup overflows. He comes to us in floods. If only we recognize the lavish abundance of his gifts, what a difference it would make to our lives. If every meal were taken as a gift from his hands, it would almost be a sacrament. Wow. Now what is really interesting is last week's passage finishes at verse 30, sorry, at verse 24. And something is missing. In the previous two stories, Jesus said that the shepherd and the widow said, come rejoice with me. Verse 6, verse 9. But he doesn't say that this time. Instead, we get verse 25, please, Bill. Thank you. You do a great job up there. You really do. You have no idea where I'm going and you just somehow keep up. So it should say, come rejoice with me for my son who was lost has been found. But we don't have that. Now his older son was in the field. Now, we're going to learn a few things about this older son. He loves to work. He loves to get everything just right. Now, the older son was in the field. And he drew near to the house. He heard the music and dancing. And this is causing him some some confusion. He's been working hard. The sweat is falling from his brow. His hands are dusty and dirty from working hard. And there is a party going on. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. Now that word, uh, if you go back for me, Bill, sorry fella, thank you. That, that there, what these, th- these things meant, is you, you wouldn't know it in our English, but it's an incredible little phrase in the Hebrew, uh, sorry, in the Greek. It's an incredible little phrase. In fact, Luke is the only one to ever use this phrase. 
And he uses it three times about what it meant. And the reason it's so unique is that he is using the word to be. To be. To be or not to be. That is the question. To be. It's very similar to to the word ego. I am. It's very similar to the Greek rendition of the name of God. I am. And what is amazing, this is not used anywhere in the New Testament, except for three places, all in Luke, when the disciples say to Jesus, what are these, what are these parables? What do they mean? What are they? But it's this incredible, incredible, powerful, category-smashing, paradox-changing, sorry, paradigm-changing, not paradox-changing, paradigm-changing idea. And Jesus is teaching in a new way with authority, unlike their scribes, unlike the teachers of the law. What do these things mean? That's the first time this This word is used. The second time is here. The third time is Zacchaeus. You remember the story of Zacchaeus in Jericho? And there is Zacchaeus, this little tax collector. Remember, we don't like tax collectors, and and no one did. And he's so short, and he's small, and he can't see what's going on. And there's this hubbub and this commotion, because Jesus has come near. Jesus is in Jericho. Wow. Wow place of Rahab and a destruction and Jesus is there and he asks this same thing like what are these things bringing into being what does this mean what does this do what is this to be and they say Jesus has come near it's a Category smashing, paradox changing sentence. And this older son recognizes something different. There is a party going on. We can go to verse 27 now. I've actually set an alarm this morning to tell me when it's time to wind up, okay? And he said to him, this is epoch shattering. Your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf. Because he has received him back safe and sound. There is the sound of celebrating. It's the same sound of the shepherd bringing home that lost sheep on his shoulders. It's the same sound as the little lady rejoicing over the coin that she has worked so hard to find. It's the same sound. God celebrates. God delights. 
Verse 28. But he was angry. What? He was angry. Now, we have to listen because you know what? Most of us aren't the younger brother. You know, we have a little younger brother, a little prodigal, a little reckless person inside of us. We We all have reckless, prodigal tendencies. But here's the truth. There is an older brother who lives in us who can really look down our nose at the people that God chooses. So this is to us. You remember Jonah? Uh, We're going to be looking at him, aren't we? Jonah, God used him to save the whole of Nineveh. Whole of Nineveh. Even the cows are repenting. It's a word for Texas. Even the cows are repenting. And what about Jonah? He's angry. It's like, I knew you'd do that. I knew you'd go and do something like that. Rescue all those people. That's why I ran away. Because here's the thing. Nineveh was their enemy. Nineveh was going to conquer Israel. Was going to cause all kinds of trouble. Well, I knew you'd do that. It would have been so much better for Jonah if God had destroyed it. 40 days and Nineveh burns. That would have been wonderful for him. But God did the unthinkable. And he moved those hearts. He softened those hearts. He changed those hearts and they repented. And Jonah, what's he do? He goes up onto a hill and he's grumpy as anything. I just don't like the people you save, God. You remember what happens? Lovely, lovely uh, plant grows over him, provides him shade. Whoa, you need that here. Someone once said, the amazing thing about Jonah isn't that God controlled the whale, but that God had control over the worm that ate the plant. And Jonah was so upset because that plant got eaten by a worm. The plant withered and he got hot. And God said, Jonah, you care about that worm. Imagine how I care about the people of Nineveh. How I love them. How I love them. And that's how that ends. Here we are. We can have that. He was angry. He found it very easy to lose his excitement and his astonishment at the grace of God. And so might we. In the 1990s, a a fella called Mike Iaconalli He wrote these words. The critical issue today is dullness. We have lost, he's talking to the church. We have lost our astonishment. 
The good news is no longer good news. It's okay news. It is no longer life-changing. It is life-enhancing. We, we come to church as an add-on. Something we do. It enhances my life. No, my brothers and sisters, it is your life. Without him, you have nothing. You are nothing. Without him, there is nothing. We have lost our astonishment. Jesus doesn't change people into wide-eyed radicals anymore. He changes them into nice people. This is what Mike Iaconelli says. I think I preached this about 15 years ago here. If Christianity is simply about being nice, I'm not interested. What happened to the radical Christianity, the unnice brand of Christianity that turned the world upside down? What happened to the category-smashing, life-threatening, anti-institutional gospel that spread through the first century like wildfire and was considered by those in power dangerous? Pilate feared it. Herod feared it because it turned the world upside down. What happened to the kinds of Christians whose hearts were on fire, who had no fear, who spoke the truth no matter what the consequence, who made the world uncomfortable with their love, who were willing to follow Jesus wherever he went? What happened to the kinds of Christians who were filled with passion and gratitude and who every day were unable to get over the grace of God? I went to uh, the George Bush presidential, George W. Bush presidential library this week Uh, and there was an exhibit in the middle these twisted scarred girders from the twin towers and the guide very kindly wonderful lady she said you can touch them if you want to I couldn't. I was too moved. They were melted. Twisted. There was something other. People just in there with their shorts and their t-shirts. Just touching it. Couldn't do it. It felt wrong. Something sacred. That terrible day of infamy changed history. 3,000 people lost their lives. Countless others in wars. 
couldn't touch it. It was holy. But I saw the people with the gum. You love your gum, don't you? Yeah, I touched it. People lose their astonishment. The sacred becomes commonplace. We are very able to get over the grace of God. He was angry and refused to go in. And here we have Jesus' punchline. This son is just as lost as the other one. He just stayed at home to be lost. The younger one wanted to actualize himself by seeking his, his, his enjoyment, his hedonism out in the world. Eating, drinking, spending time with prostitutes, we're going to find out. The other one wants to actualize himself by working hard and being good. That's us, isn't it? That's us. You know, all around the world, we kind of decide who is a Christian. For us, as Baptists, I'm a Baptist, you're a Baptist, probably. Uh, I'm definitely one, I think. Um, you know, what makes someone a Christian? They, they say the prayer, don't they? They say the prayer. Makes you a Christian. That's what we say. And then we add all this other stuff to them. You've got to find a good church. I say this. I say this, you've got to find a good church. Uh, you know, that preaches the Bible, that loves Jesus. Where the worship is extraordinary. I say, you've got to be baptized. I say this, you say this. Be ba- we're Baptists, be baptized. You've got to read your Bible, we say. So you've got to have your quiet time in the morning. You've got to give a tithe. I say all this. I'm not, uh, you know, I do this. You've got to give your time. You've got to serve. So do you know what we become? Like those circus performers in the spinning plates. Don't we? And, and, and we're spinning them. I did my quiet time today. Got it going. I've given my tithe. Got it going. I've volunteered for, for VBS. Got it going. I've done my job at church. Oh no, the first one's going. And, and we become like the circus performer. And if all the plates are spinning, well, we feel good. We feel good about ourselves. We feel good with the Lord. And when these plates start crashing down, as they always do, we think, I feel so far from God. You're trying to work out your own salvation, my darlings. That's what you're trying to do. You're trying to work out your own salvation. Get this plate spinning, this plate spinning, this plate spinning, this plate spinning, and this plate spinning. And when God lavishes his love on someone who does none of those things, who doesn't look like us, dress like us, speak like us, well, like you. (laughs) How can God love them? He was angry and refused to go in. 
This is as big an insult as the son taking the money and spending it all on wine, women, and song. Biggest insult. It's an insult to the father's hospitality. It's an insult to the father's kindness. Do you remember the father would go out and look for that prodigal? He'd go to the furthest extent of his land and there he would lean on the gate and watch. Is that him? Is that him? And when the sun was still a long way off, he ran to him and embraced him and took the pig filth, was covered in it himself and fell on him and kissed his neck. And so the father goes to the other lost son. Stoops down. He comes to that little religious older brother inside all of us and entreated him. He says, come on. This party is for you too. This party, this joy is as much for you as it is for him. Look what the son says. But he answered his father, look. That's so rude. Look. Do you remember the younger son's confession? He said, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Look at this one. Look. Let me tell you how it's going to be, Father. Look. These many years I have served you. These are the Pharisees who dictate to God how he should be. They've put God in a box. And look what he says. These many years I have served you. There is a faithfulness in this service. It is long service. Look, these many years I have served you. And I've never disobeyed your command. He's obedient. He's faithful. He's obedient. And he's a servant. I've served you. Faithfully. Obedient. Tell you what we do, we make him a deacon. That's a deacon right there. Well, I'm the, I mean, no. An elder. Let's make this guy the pastor. But when God chooses pastors, they usually smell of sheep. Like, like King David, when he was but a boy. See how we do this? This is why this is so category smashing to us. Our view is we want these people. (coughs) Faithful, long-term, servants, never disobeyed your command. But look where his heart is. It's all external. It's all external. You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate party with my 
friends. He wanted exactly the same thing as the younger brother. He wanted to party. He wanted to to live it large, as we would say in the United Kingdom. He never gave me a young goat. He treated God as a vending machine. I do this for you and you will do this for me. I have a friend in England. About 10 years ago, she rang me up. She was in tears. She said, I've served God all my life. I've been faithful to God all my life. And all I've ever wanted was a husband. And I've served him so hard. I've prayed hard. I've worked hard. And he has not delivered. I'm stopping going to church. That's that. That's that. I had a a friend, he was a minister. He just wouldn't retire. It's not you, Bill, sorry. (laughs) When he retired... His wife was so excited that they would spend their... I shouldn't have started this story. Boop, boop, boop. His wife was so excited when, they, when he retired and he died within a week. Now that wife could have... She could have rallied against God My alarm's going. That tells me I've got five minutes. Okay. She could have rallied against God. She could have said, we've done all this for you. And this is how you repay us. She didn't. She said, I thank you, God, for that week. I thank you, God, for my life. I thank you, Lord, that we were always together and we will be with you forever in eternity. Amen. And that's sweet. Let's go to the next pass, the next verse, please. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the... How dare you? That's what this son is saying. How dare you? You killed the fatted calf for him. Verse 31. And the father just takes all this grief. And with such grace and such love, doesn't break the familial bonds, 
He's still his son. He is still treasured. He is still loved. Though he dictates to God what God should do, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is found. Full stop. And that's all she wrote. There is no ending to this story because the ending is ours. The ending is theirs. The ending is for the Pharisees. What will they do? What will you do? Because there is a little older brother in all of us. And if we are working hard to get from God, we have missed the point. But if we're working hard because we love him and we treasure him and we just love working with him, then we've everything. Ben, who's here on the front row, when I used to mow the lawn, he'd come out with me and just hold the flex. We didn't have petrol. We had electric. He'd just hold the cord and make sure I didn't electrocute myself. I gave him nothing. I'm a hard man. But we just loved being together. So what do we do? We need to come afresh to the cross. To see that it was there that our salvation was won. There's a a Scottish preacher called Alistair Begg who says unless we keep coming to the cross, we think it's about us. Unless we come to the cross every day, we think it's about our performance, our effort, our strength, our good deeds, our morality. We've got to come to the cross, he says. And then he tells this story a bit like this. He says, there it is. There's the pearly gates and the thief on the cross, the thief on the cross appears at the pearly gates and the angel says, what are you doing here? And he says, I don't know. And the angel says, what do you mean you don't know? He says, I don't know. He says, I better get a supervisor. So he gets the supervisor and he says, well, what church did you belong to? I didn't belong to a church. So, okay. When did you say the sinner's prayer? The sinner's what? Okay, let's try something else. Can you explain the doctrine of penal substitution? No? No? Do you know the five solas of the Reformation? No. Okay, where did you serve at church? I told you I've never been to church. 
then what are you doing here? I don't know. Well, what gives you a right into eternal life? The man on the middle cross told me I could come. The man on the middle cross told me I could come. The man on the middle cross calls you to come. If you're fed up of working out your own salvation, if you are fed up of working so hard to prove yourself worthy, like me, I work so hard to prove myself worthy. If like me, you just need to come to that middle man on the cross, then I I would invite you to come again. I'm going to invite you to come. I'm going to be here because I need this. I am an elder brother. I am judgmental. But it is by grace and grace alone that I have been saved. Why don't you come? Come to the cross as Clark and Amy lead us in Be Thou My Vision. O Lord of my heart, be thou with me. Be what thou art. Jesus, praise you. Jesus, come, Lord. Come, change our hearts. Jesus.